Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. White, couple of jab steps, comes up shooting top three, bam! Put him in the hole of fame! Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. One more, one more y'all want me to prove, man. Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Jordan Malley. Jordan, great to see you. Through our 670 score scope. Yep. Where is he? And it's right over there, Bill. Joining me now, Matt Peck. Locked on Bulls podcast. Producing podcasts left and right, even in the offseason. On Twitter, at Locked on Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. I don't have Twitter. I don't do anything like that. And I love what you guys do with the show. I listen to every episode. You guys are one of the best podcasts, period. Y'all keep going with you do best. I love you guys. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. It's 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 raw. You can just see the vibe. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. Okay, cool. I was hoping it wasn't one of those knucklehead programs. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369. Drop your text, your voicemails, anything you got for us at 331-979-1369. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Make sure to go to BuiltBar.com. Welcome back from the weekend, Matt. Uh, Hopefully you had a good weekend. It was quite an enjoyable weekend to watch basketball, though. Across the NBA, and if you're a Bulls fan, the Bulls pulled out uh, a win on Saturday after their national TV loss on Friday night. We'll get into both of those, but first and foremost, how you doing, man? What's up, Jordan? What's up, Bulls Nation? Doing well. Had a nice weekend. Uh, you know, always great when you have two Bulls games uh, over the weekend. And unfortunately, the Bulls could only get a split. Um, you know, kind of a disappointing result on Friday night. Their, their first and I believe only nationally televised game of the season on ESPN against Philly. You know, loved seeing Zach Levine get a lot of love from the national media pregame, talking about his all-star bid. Um, and then, you know, of course, he has a, a, a very uncharacteristic off-night shooting, uh, inefficient night shooting, and the Bulls fall short uh, against the Sixers. But, you know, at least they put up a good showing on Friday night on that national game. So I was, I was pleased to see that. We knew it was going to happen. We knew it was going to be an Embiid takeover, but I didn't think he was going to score his career high, man. He was 17 from 26. He shot 17 free throws. He had 50 points, 17 rebounds, five assists, two steals, and four blocks. I mean, he was absolutely insane. So compare that with what the Bulls have in their front court, man. I mean, this was kind of expected, but Embiid put on an absolute show. And like you had said, Zach had an off night from three, an off night shooting in general, but he still put up 20 points. And hey, look, 30. he actually, he, yes, you're right, 30. And hey, look, he actually shot double digit free throws for once, which is nice. Dude, I don't know what it is. Apparently, when the Bulls play on national television, he got calls. I mean, I, I was shocked to see double-digit free throw attempts because Zach never this season has gotten that kind of respect from the officials, but you know, I I guess on the nationally televised games, the refs take players who are you know, high-profile scoring players like that, and they reward them when they drive. I I still think the 10 wasn't as many as he earned. 
I think that there were some calls uh, against Zach, Zach that went uncalled, um, and he could have had 15 or 16 free throw attempts on the night. And then, of course, against the Kings the next night, you know, I, I think he only went five of five from the free throw line and just was getting hacked and hacked and hacked. And it didn't matter. He still finished nine of nine in the restricted area against the Kings the next night. But, man, a weird up and down of Zach getting respect and not getting respect from the refs. I thought Wendell Carter Jr. did a good job in the loss. Although, I mean, for anybody in this league to have to go up and defend Joel Embiid and then try to score on the other side. And and how about the offensive start that Wendell had, though? Yeah, it was really, really nice to see. I want to see that more often, right? I feel like that's a complete jolt to his confidence every time you start games. So maybe getting him involved early on uh, will help in other aspects of his game. But that was really nice to see. And he had 15 points for the Bulls, second leading scorer. Uh, And Thaddeus Young, again, just did his thing off the bench. But it wasn't enough to uh, pull off a win against the number one team in the East. But the Bulls hung on, man. They hung on for this entire game and kept it close. So I give them a lot of credit for that. Yeah. Every time it looked like the the Sixers were going to pull away, um, the Bulls just found ways to keep responding. It's crazy between you know giving up, you know a fifty burger to Embiid, uh, Wendell tries he may to slow him down. You know uh, Donovan only gave eleven collective minutes to Gafford and Cornette, neither of whom could do anything about it. Uh, you can only play the aging vet Thad Young at the small ball five for so many minutes each night. They just had no answer. So between that and having a very um, abnormal uh, bad shooting night from downtown, as you mentioned, not only Zach two of ten, but the team as a whole seven of thirty-two for just a shade under 22% from the three-point line. That has been a calling card and a staple of this Bulls offense that has seen such you know, uh, strong improvements compared to last season. So the fact that they were in this game, despite a monster night from Embiid and no three-point shooting, is I think is a, a solid compliment to the way that this Bulls team is just managing to stay in every fight, every game, Every night, um, you know, and Levine talked about that after the loss to Philly. Donovan did as well. Um, th- they're a resilient group. And I thought it was interesting to hear uh, Richard Jefferson in his uh, you know, some of his commentary in the national broadcast towards, the, you know, the latter stages of that game where the Bulls were hanging with the Sixers, even took a, a brief lead at a couple of points in the fourth quarter, saying, hey, you know, the, the Bulls aren't there yet. But this young team with a couple of key veteran pieces, they're learning. Uh, and they're getting closer. So it was, you know, despite, again, a disappointing outcome, a disappointing result, a really encouraging night for that for that Bulls group. You bring up a good point, and it's something that I think once we, you know, once we get over the hump of talking about can the Bulls consistently stay in games every single night, it, and I think this is one example of, hey, here's, Here's where we can finally turn the page. I'm not wait wait I'm not ready to say that yet. I want to see a couple of other games close to this and maybe even the Bulls pull off a win against a top 4 team whether it be in the East or the West. But I think there's going to be start 
starting to have conversations around, all right, the Bulls are hanging in every one of these games. Now, how do we capitalize and win and close these games? And one thing that you had brought up was the three-point shooting. The Bulls have done a phenomenal job this year, Matt, of defending the three-point line. It's just the the inability and inconsistency of being able to shoot the three themselves. Against the 76ers, they shot 21.9%, 7 for 32 from three. See, if you defend the three-point line well, 76ers only shot 33%, but you don't shoot it well. We notice on nights that the Bulls don't shoot it well from the perimeter. More than likely, they're not going to win that game. So I think the conversation is going to shift around who's going to be the consistent three-point threat out there, especially if Lowry still continues to be hurt and he continues to be out. We need Kobe. We need uh, we need Valentine, whoever. We need somebody to step up and consistently be able to shoot threes outside of just Zach. And I think that's kind of like the missing piece to this this core group really pulling off wins against teams like the Sixers. Yeah, and, you know, it was a good... We'll we'll get to the Kings in in a couple of minutes, but after Kobe went one of five from downtown against Philly, he had a, a strong bounce back game and hit a bunch of threes in the win against Sacramento. And I think it was more along the lines of letting Kobe be the catch and shoot guy that he was for a lot of his rookie year. Um, catch and shoot Kobe has been a lot more efficient than the Kobe trying to create his own shots off the dribble this season or or doing too much on the ball this season. So, you know, Kobe's been up and down from the three-point line this season. Um, you know, hey, I guess it's silver lining. The Bulls shot terribly behind the arc on Friday night, but we we saw a made three from Wendell Carter. We also saw a airballed three-point attempt from Wendell Carter. <laughs> so, you know, take the good, take the bad. Yeah, baby steps, man, baby steps. But I don't know about you, and we'll get to the Kings, Kings game in a second here, but... To me, it's refreshing as hell to see the Bulls be able to actually defend the three-point line, right? The last two years, the Bulls have been so bad at doing that, and it feels like the Bulls have ran themselves out of games, especially early, because they just let the other team just absolutely rain down on them. Billy Donovan has done such a good job of coming in here and getting guys to commit to that. It's like, hey, I know this isn't some brilliant idea, but guess what? A, 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 ba- uh, a bucket around the rim is worth less than a bucket behind that three-point line. So uh, let's try to use that as a philosophy. And I think it's worked for the Bulls. I really do. I think it's worked. It's kept them in most of these games. Think about last year or two years ago when the Bulls would give up seven, eight, nine, ten threes in the first half. And it's like you look up at the scoreboard, you're down 15 or 20 before you could even blink. So I have to give them a credit again for the way that they're defending the three-point line. And again, a partial, partially of that is Zach's commitment to consistently playing on-ball defense this year. And he's done a really great job, man. But having guys like Garrett Temple in there, Carter back and fully healthy, and also P-Will's addition has really bolstered their defensive lineup around the perimeter. Right. It also helps that they're not doing that ridiculously blitzing. stupid boiling blitzing defense all the time like last season where if you don't get the steal on the trap and you know the 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 guard passes out of the trap it's a simple you know bing bang boom play where they hit the rolling big in the pocket who then swings it to whichever you know corner three shooter is open and you know the bulls were just getting buried in opponents corner threes all last season now, with a different defensive system, you're seeing a lot less of that. 
Absolutely. I want to talk about, uh, even though this was a loss, I didn't think that there was too many negatives to talk about in this Sixers game. I thought it was a very, very good showing from a Bulls team that was still missing one of their key pieces in Lowry marketing, but still to go up against one of the best teams in basketball right now in the Sixers and having to do that on the road first nationally televised game in over a year great great job by the bulls to at least put themselves on the radar and get people to talk about them a little bit more than i think initially people were talking about them earlier in this week matt i want to get to the kings game and talk a little bit more about the win that we had on saturday night but before i do that I want to tell you guys about bet online ag bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action football might be over but the nba college basketball and the nhl are in full swing bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website and use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Over the weekend, I turned $11.50 into $1,500 by hitting on two massive parlays, and you can do this at BetOnline. Give it up for Jordan, y'all. Big weekend. You can do this at BetOnline.ag. Sign up for a free account. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code Locked On Today, I'm going with, if you want to bet on something on the Bulls, I'm going to go with Kobe White to score 30 points and Zach Levine to have eight assists. If you parlay those two together, $10 wins you $1,200. So if you want to put that on tonight's game and have a little bit of action, go to betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on. You'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right. So let's, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about this Kings game, too, because, uh, you know, I, I was. I was sitting here squeezing my butt cheeks towards the end end of that game, man, because I felt like it was one of those Twilight Zone moments where I was like, oh, God, don't do this. Don't do what we did last year. Pretty much every game was have a lead late in the last five minutes and then all of a sudden choke it away. And they didn't do that, which I think is a sign of, again, turning the page and becoming a different team, Matt. But this Sacramento team, holy crap, are they bad on defense, man. And Zach was getting anything he wanted. The Bulls were just getting anything and everything that they wanted. And it was good to see a pick up a win after losing a heartbreaker to them just about a month ago in Sacramento. Yeah, that that was a tough loss, man. Um, I, I went back and was looking at that game on Saturday afternoon before the rematch, and I had forgotten about that ridiculous buddy healed four point play uh, at the end of that game that iced it for Sacramento. I mean, how is it's like a, a nightly occurrence that we have to watch the Bulls foul a three point shooter, and that was probably the worst one of the bunch so far this season. And guess what? The guilty party on that one, Garrett Temple from the game prior, also had a foul on a three-point shooter in the game on Saturday night because, of course, he did. Um, but, yeah, a, a good revenge game for the Bulls. I, I couldn't believe that they lost to this team the first time around. Um, I, like you said, I mean, th- this Kings team ranks dead last or close to it in pretty much every defensive statistical category this season. Um, and, and I was glad to see that the Bulls picked them apart. Not only did they have a bounce back night shooting after the awful shooting night in Philly uh, the night prior, the Bulls shot 47% from three, 59.8% overall from the field, 86% from the free throw line. They also dominated in the paint. Uh, I I believe they had a season high 66 points in the paint. 
which, you know, they also gave up 64 points in the paint as this Bulls team that's undersized has uh, been wont to do this season. But at least they matched the Kings. And, uh, you know, between that and the better shot making, they were able to to get a, a very winnable win against a Kings team that was, you know, not only defensively in, uh, disinterested, but shorthanded with no Rashawn Holmes uh, and, and no Harrison Barnes. Yeah, and the Kings had to play a back-to-back, too, even last night. They had to play the Bucks too. And the Bulls were coming off the second night of a back-to-back as well, and having to come home after traveling, too. So you knew the defense was going to be sort of light in this one. But, yeah, they dominated in the restricted area, Matt. The Kings are one of the worst teams at defending there. So I had a feeling that it was going to be a Zach drive to the basket or Zach shoot a ton of threes or the Bulls just in general drive and kick, drive and kick all night. And that's kind of what we saw. Like you had mentioned earlier in the episode, Kobe hit five threes in this game, and that was much needed for for a team that outside of Zach, you're looking for other consistent offensive weapons. And Kobe did a great job. He had 19. Zach had 38. Not much more to say about that. But how about Thaddeus Young, man, off the bench again, becoming a a staple for that Bulls bench and just a glue guy. And I don't know, man, over the next couple of weeks, we may need to continue to have a conversation about him. And if he's too valuable for the Bulls to just trade away at the deadline, I mean, he has been so key to the Bulls' success this year, and we continuously say that. But he had 18 points, four assists, and three rebounds. It was great to see him get get off to a good start. And same thing with Patrick Williams, man. He shot 50%. He got 10 shot up, shots up, and he had... Is this Was this his first career double-double? He had 11 points and 11 second. rebounds. Second. Sec- second career double-double, yeah. So it was good to see him, too, get, getting going. And uh, you notice, when, when other guys are hitting shots at takes the pressure off of Zach, and Zach's able to do other things, but he had another enormous night with 38-4-3-3. Yeah, um, it's funny that you mentioned the, you know, just the the presence of Thad Young and how crazy good he has been. Did, did you see Zach Levine comment on that uh, that picture of Thad? I think it was on it was either on Insta or Twitter. That ridiculous, you know, Magic Johnson esque, like you know, flying through the paint skyhook thing that he had. Like, how the hell did he make that? Zach Levine commented on it, like, "Yo, dude, this crazy this shot was wild, man." Um, but you mentioned that Basketball References Twitter account earlier today. Um, Posted the top ten players in the league uh, who are leading the league as far as plus minus swings when they're on the court, what, how their team's doing when they're on the court versus off the court. Uh, some interesting names, including three of the top four being San Antonio Spurs, Jakob Pertl, Rudy Gay, uh, and Patty Mills, one, two, and four respectively. Embiid, who kicked our ass Friday night, third on that list at a plus eighteen point three. But then you go be- down past Patty Mills to number five. Bulls power forward Thaddeus Young plus 15 on off number five across the entire NBA and down there sneaking into the top 10 at number 10 Garrett Temple plus 14 on off for the Bulls this season so you know not only did did Levine have another just virtuoso performance a good bounce back after a tough shooting night and inefficient shooting night Friday, 15 of 20 from the field, the Bulls got uh, got some help from from the the veteran you know role players as well. I thought Buddy Heald was trying to to absolutely sink our our hopes and dreams by hitting that three towards the like last 20 seconds of the game. Then they called it a two. Uh, I feel bad for De'Aaron Fox. We could talk a little bit more about this. Uh, 
towards the back end of the episode and same thing with Bagley. Bagley had a huge night but for whatever reason man this Kings team is just it, it's not working and I saw somebody say sum it up perfectly is De'Aaron Fox deserves to have a guy like Zach Levine next to him and Zach Levine deserves to have a guy like De'Aaron Fox next to him I'm just uh it was brought up in the broadcast, and I'm just so thankful once again that the Bulls matched the offer sheet uh, three summers ago to keep Zach Levine here and not let him walk to Sacramento because I can only imagine what that backcourt would have looked like uh, for years to come, him and, and Fox together. I'm just glad he's here in Chicago, but I kind of feel bad for Deer and Fox in a market that isn't massive, a Kings team that continues to, I don't know, show some bright spots, but more of the same. I just I don't know what's going to go on with him. I know he signed an extension, but I mean, if you keep losing games nonstop, at some point he's going to ask out. I don't know how long that'll take for that to happen, but I just feel bad for him. Feel bad for a young player like that that has nobody around him to help him win games consistently. Yeah, man. Um, and, and speaking of De'Aaron Fox, he he had an okay night on Saturday. But if you look at his splits of how he shot from the field when he was guarded by Zach Levine compared to not guarded by Zach Levine, man, more eyebrow-raising stuff from Zach Levine on the defensive end, man. There's more evidence coming in every night. I, I want to talk to you more, Jordan, about the night that Zach Levine had and some of the other most recent stats that have been propping up about Zach that are absolutely ridiculous. Give this man some credit. We will find out tomorrow, Tuesday, how the coaches vote and whether or not he officially makes his first all-star team. First, though, wanted to tell our listeners that today's episode is brought to you by our great friends at Build Bar. We've been telling you guys about Built Bar for a year now. Uh, I mentioned to you guys I recently started working out, and and Built Bars have become like my my delicious reward after every workout. Uh, you got to try some of their new and delicious flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake, and apple almond crisp. Plus, you got some of the OG flavors. I love the raspberry chocolate, the German chocolate, and the salted caramel. These Built Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, they're soft, and they're easy to chew. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious sports fans out there. Lose some pounds, maybe maintain your weight while indulging in these delicious treats. Built Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. Take, for example, the peanut butter Built Bar that comes jam-packed with 19 whole grams of protein, but only 180 calories, only 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams net carbs. Right now, our Locked On Bulls listeners, if you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, will get 20% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Jordan, I feel like we're running out of ways to praise Zach Levine. Um, but, you know, I, I was uh, talking with Josh Lloyd, who is one of the great hosts of Locked On NBA Go and check out that show. If you aren't subscribed to it, you should be, as well as the Locked On Fantasy NBA show that Josh Lloyd does a great job with. And we had a little chat about Zach Levine um, and his all-star qualifications this season. We spent a good amount of that time talking about Zach's defense because Josh was saying he had been a critic of Zach as a overall winning player because of his defense in the past several seasons. Man, you know, and also shout out to our buddy Stefano um, for tweeting out some videos of Zach's defense over the weekend. There is more and more evidence of Zach's improved defense every single night this season. 
There definitely is, man. And I'm cool with people changing their thoughts, too. Yeah, I feel like there's been a lot of Bulls fans and a lot of Bulls media that have been very critical about Zach Levine's defense in the first three years that he's been here. I'm totally fine with you changing your opinion on that. That that's I think that's part of watching the game and realizing that guys don't come out of co- it's it's unnormal for guys to come out of college and in two years be like Luca is or be like Trey is. That's not the norm. The norm is it takes three or four or five years for guys to truly start to build into the player that they're supposed to be to for them to actually reach that the buzzword we use all the time that ceiling. Right. I, I feel like as NBA fans we might have become a little less patient with guys. And Bulls fans have noticed this, right? Even with the best player we have on this team, Zach Levine, people didn't want to be patient with watching him develop and saying, oh, he's already getting to be 24, 25, 25 years old, 25 years old in the NBA. Most guys don't hit their peak or their prime till 25 or 26. And I think you're starting to see that with Levine now, man. And yeah, it's all about effort, right? Defense is a big thing and it's all about effort. And while I still think Levine has lackadaisical plays and brain fart moments, I think he's done a wonderful job on ball defending, chasing guys down, giving the little bit of extra effort. And you're showing it. It's showing it's going a long way for Zach Levine. Yeah. You, you know, you're absolutely right. Those those off ball brain fart moments that you're alluding to are way less frequent than they used to be. Not only is his on ball defense you know, still improving and has always been more respectable than his off-ball defense. You know, I, I mentioned the the De'Aaron Fox shooting splits, which, by the way, were he was five of seven uh, when not being guarded by Levine on Saturday night and two of ten when he was being guarded by Zach Levine. So those are those splits for you. But it's not just the on-ball defense, off-ball defense. He's getting his hands in passing lanes. He's fighting over and around screens a lot better. He's not getting caught you know, ball watching and letting, you know, his man beat him for a backdoor cut and an easy two as often as he used to. And I mean, like, I just don't know what the, you know, what the criteria or what the threshold will be for national media to start finally acknowledging that this part of Zach's game is better. While, by the way, he's doing historically efficient things on the offensive end. Man, I saw an article pop up too this weekend right after that Sixers game and it said has Zach Levine done enough to bid himself into the all-star game and I'm like really we're still having this conversation now I'm like Zach uh, what we play it in the intro every single day Zach says what more do I have to do what more do I have to prove again I feel like that theme is common here and we'll find out tomorrow man about whether or not Zach Levine gets to his first all-star game or not it would be it's an absolute embarrassment if if he doesn't get into the all-star game, there's something truly wrong with the all-star games voting system, the process that you go through. If Zach Levine is not in, in an all-star game, I'm okay with him not being a starter, but for him not to be named an all-star, it would be absolutely flat out fucking ridiculous, man. I'm just looking at his numbers from February. Do you know who has the most shots in the NBA right now in February? Is Zach who? Levine. It's Zach Levine. He has 250 field goal attempts in 11 games. He's shooting 52.8%. Out of the top five guys, the only person that's better than him is Giannis at 55%. Out of the top five guys in shots taken in February, do you know who's got the highest three-point percentage, Matt? 
It's Zach uh, Levine. Let me take a guess. <laughs> it's Zach Levine. He's shooting 45.2% from three in February. That is ridiculous. It's better than Steph Curry. Steph is shooting 44.6. Nobody's even close to him in the top 10. Nobody's even close to Zach. Zach is putting up an unreal month in February to build off of two of the first, uh, the December that he started with, and then the the absolutely explosive January that he had, man. Again, I will say it once more. If Zach Levine is not an all-star tomorrow night, it's an absolute flat-out embarrassment. There shouldn't be an all-star game at this point, then. Uh, just get rid of the game, honestly, because if Zach Levine's not an all-star, I don't know what is. I don't know who is. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've seen some of these comparative stats that that have come around over the last, you know, couple of weeks as Zach has continued to bump his stats up. You know, the one about, you know, players to average 28, 5, and 5 on, you know, XYZ shooting percentage splits. And the list is Larry Bird did it a couple of times. Steph Curry did it, his unanimous MVP season. And so far this season, Kevin Durant is on pace to do it. And Zach Levine is on pace to do it. That's some pretty good company. Um, but, you know, you, you mentioned his three-point shooting, which, yes, is is wildly efficient, um, you know, d- flirting with 44% from behind the arc. The thing that I loved about Zach's game on Saturday, and I think you mentioned it as well, was how efficient he was at the rim. Um, and and shout out to Jeff Mangerton, who brought this up on Twitter, uh, one of your colleagues at 670 to score who has great Bulls stats in game all the time. A great follow on Twitter for Bulls fans at Jeff Gert. Um, and it was like towards the end of the first half when he tweeted this. Levine, 505 in the lane tonight, all at the rim. Um, he's got 129 baskets in the restricted area this season, 20 more than any other guard in the NBA. So Zach actually finished the game 949 in the lane in the restricted area. So make that 133 instead of 129. And 24 more buckets at the in the restricted area than every other guard in the NBA. And of course, you know, that's after Saturday night's action. I'm not sure if that altered at all uh, from Sunday's uh, games. But still, that's insane. 20 plus more made baskets at the rim than every other guard in the NBA. It's a, it, it is it's it's after absurd. Like nine of nine at the rim on Saturday. I mean, come, like you said, what more do you want me to prove, man? I'm shooting 44% from d- downtown. I've got a true shooting percentage above 65 and I have 20 more buckets at the rim than every other freaking guard in the league. It's in it's absolutely insane, man. Here's the top 10 in restricted area field goal attempts across the league this year. Zion at one, Giannis at two, Andre Drummond at three, Clint Capella at four, Damanis Sabonis at five, Rudy Gobert at six, LeBron James at seven, Enos Cantor at eight, Zach Levine at nine, and RJ Barrett at ten. Zach Levine. So basically eight gigantic people <laughs> and then Zach Levine. <laughs> yes. And if you want me to go to top 15, the only other guard that's in there. I mean, you can get, I don't even consider Ben Simmons a guard, really. Uh, he's more of a guard forward. But if you're tra- talking truly guards, Malcolm Brogdon's probably the only other one in this list. It's Brogdon, Simmons, Aiton, and then Siakam. But Zach Levine in the restricted area, man, this is this is flat out absolutely absurd for a guard to do this. 67.2%. That's fucking insane. 
That's it. We talked about his finishing ability and shout out to our friends at B-Ball Index who have indexed his last couple of years and his finishing rate. It was in the, the, the top five percentile in the NBA. I can only imagine what it's at this year, man. So good on Zach Levine for, and I hate to say this, but we... I know you don't want to, but I I have to give Jim Boylan just a touch of credit here because he forced Zach Levine all year last year to either take threes or get his ass to the rim and try to finish. And even though he was frustrated as hell most of last season, I think that's helped this year, man. We talked about him bulking up a little bit. I think that's contributed to his ability to be, be able to finish at the rim even better than what he was already doing the past two or three seasons. So, yeah. Even when he's not getting the call for a lot more and ones that that he should have that he doesn't, he's finishing through contact a lot better. Imagine if imagine if he would just get two two foul calls more than he does a game. Imagine where his his points per game percentage would be at. I mean, it, he would be averaging thirty two, thirty three a night, man. And I know he's averaging in the month of February thirty, but it, it's insane. And he yeah. still doesn't get to the free throw line at nearly as much as he should. And the other thing that I wanted to point out about Zach's game from Saturday uh, and just his season in general, as we continue to say, make this man a damn all-star already. Um, and, and shout out to uh, our, our guy, Rob Schaefer at, over at NBC Sports Chicago for bringing this up in his recap of Bulls Kings, the fourth quarter scoring. Zach had 11 of his 38 in the fourth uh, against the Kings, you know, making sure that they didn't, as you said, cough up a winnable game, a game that they absolutely should win. Yes, he's been great from deep. As you said, he's also gotten better finishing at the rim, but it was a mid-range baseline jumper that turned out to be the dagger uh, that he sunk for the Bulls. One of, you know, his many buckets in the fourth quarter to ice that win. He was five of seven from the floor in the fourth. Oh, and by the way, in case you didn't know, and for all of you out there saying, oh, Zach doesn't show up when it matters, who always like to, to point out his, his late game decision making or a turnover here or there. Fourth quarter, especially, you know, crunch time stuff. Oh, Zach, Zach's never enough in crunch time. What about just fourth quarter and the fact that he leads all NBA players in points per game in fourth quarters at 8.2? How about total fourth quarter points so far this season at 219? Again, what more do you want this guy to do before you start respecting him? He's leading the league in fourth quarter scoring. Does that mean nothing? <laughs> Last time I checked, that means something. It's it's absurd, man. It, it truly is absurd, the season that he's having. Let me just read you before we get out of here his numbers in different in each of the different shooting zones this season. Restricted area, 67.2%. In the paint, 41.8%. Mid-range, 47.7%. Left corner threes, 60%. Right corner threes, 27.8%. Corner threes overall, 46.5%. Above the break threes, 42.3%. That's fucking insane. His only bad shooting spot is... And he's taking the least amount of shots this season there. Not even one per game is right corner threes at 27.8%. Everything else is over 40%. It's insane, man. I mean, shout out to Zach Levine, man. I'm fully on board with re-signing this dude. Do everything that the Bulls can to lock him up this summer. And let's build around Zach Levine. I'm with you, man. it It is high time that we just put an end to the talk about trading Zach. I saw someone on Twitter 
uh, you know, over the weekend was like, yeah, you know, I, I tuned out of, of lockdown bulls for a while because there's just so much talk about trading Levine. And it's like, look, you and I addressed the fact that there were lots of rumors going around because lots of teams are interested because Levine is having such a ridiculously efficient and successful season. So it's not like we can ignore those rumors. We will address them. This is a Bulls podcast. We will talk about any and all things that are leading Bulls headlines. That being said, at no point has Jordan or myself ever advocated for trading Zach. We've talked about hypotheticals that you guys throw in our inbox. Leave us emails, texts, voicemails talking about trading Zach. What can we get for him? Whether or not we should do it. And as we have gone on all season long, we have gone from saying, yeah, you know, you could probably sell high on Zach right now, but it's probably better to keep him to, oh, for the love of God, if you trade this guy, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> you bring up a good point, too, and nothing against the person who tweeted us, because I'm sure there's a lot of Bulls fans that, that feel that same way as they get angry when we start talking about trades, especially when it becomes the favorite player or your best player. But yeah, you're right. We're going to address it. If it's part of the that the one of the biggest NBA storylines, we're going to talk about it. And to your credit and to our credit, too, we... Every, go back and listen to those, even if you're curious. Go back and listen to those segments that we did on Levine. A lot of that conversation, the talk is, okay, if we do trade Levine, if he decides he wants to push himself out of here and they want to trade him, I want to upgrade. I want to get somebody the caliber of Zach Levine or better than Zach Levine. Not to sidestep, not to continue to rebuild. None of that. I want to upgrade. I'm not making that same mistake twice. I kept. To, I keep bringing it up. I'm going to bring it up all year. Don't make the same mistake twice. We made we made a similar mistake with Butler. The Bulls didn't bank on him being the player that he is. Okay, uh, fine with making that mistake. Don't do it twice, though. Don't trade away your best player and try to sell that to the fans. It's not going to work. And so, yes, we're going to talk about it. It may make you angry, but we're laying out all the possibilities, all the avenues, and all of the strategies, and all the reasons why he would be included. And of course, he's the best player on our team. Uh, uh, 29 other teams in the NBA would love to have Zach Levine right now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, there are certain people making comparisons like, well, Zach Levine is no Jimmy Butler. You should still be selling high uh, on a guy like this um, because, you know, he's he's just not the, you know, the top 25 kind of player, maybe even borderline top 15 player that Jimmy Butler was when the Bulls traded him at his peak. And it's like, okay, yes, Jimmy Butler first became known for his defense and then developed his offensive game and was known as certainly like a top 10 two-way player in the league. Not a top 10 scorer, but a top 10 two-way player because of his defensive you know, abilities. Did at any point in Jimmy Butler's Bulls career, he do anything even close to as dominant and efficient as Zach Levine is doing offensively this season? No. Zach's, uh, I mean, uh, Jimmy's biggest season scoring for the Bulls was the, you know, the pointless three alpha season when he had averaged 23.9 points per game, six rebounds, five and a half assists. I mean, that's not all that different from Zach's, you know, five, five and a half rebounds, five assists. Oh, and by the way, damn near 29 points a game, not 25. And again, yes, acknowledging that the defense is not what Jimmy's was, but we just spent a good portion of today's show talking about how noticeably better Zach Levine's defense is. So those people whether they be Bulls fans or certain people covering this team in the media talking about, well, no, you still sell high on Zach because you can't build a team around him. He's not a, a useful enough piece to pay him what he you know, is going to be asking and what he deserves. Compared to Jimmy, it's like, 
Okay, yeah, but like, I, I do you not see what Zach Levine can do that Jimmy Butler could not do and still can't do? Different, there are different types of players. Each player, but to suggest that Zach Levine is a shade of a value as far as a building block for a team compared to Jimmy when the Bulls made the decision to trade him, I think is pretty misguided at this point. Yeah, and I don't even think, like, I don't even want to start that mess of people having those kind con- I know they are already happening, but it's just two different situations, too. Uh, but the the theme I think can stay the same is just don't make the same mistake twice. And Zach Levine is a different type of player than Butler was too. And I think you can build a different team that wins consistently around shaping it with the style that Zach Levine plays. And same thing with Butler. Butler's perfect for the system that the Heat have. And it's not too far off of, of the modern day NBA and how teams are being successful. It's shooting a lot, playing a decent amount of defense. And Jimmy, Jimmy does that. It's the one thing that Jimmy's got an upper hand on Zach. No doubt about it is his ability to play defense his ability to pass and his ability to rebound but Zach Levine's scoring ability is bar none way better than it is than Butler's is at least right now this season it has been so yeah I'm with you man uh again maybe tomorrow we'll be talking about Zach Levine the all-star the first all-star we've had since Butler right first all-star campaign since Butler that's been what five years Butler was a, uh, a an all-star in 2015 Butler, Butler was an all-star for the three alphas year in 16 17 so. so yeah four years yeah. man that's been a long time that's a long time that's a lot longer than than a top market team especially like Chicago should have should go with a drought of not having an all-star but uh I think that's going to about do it here, man. Uh, This was a very, very good episode. Glad we got to break down both of those games, talk a little bit about Zach Levine's final 24 hours before we find out the fate of All-Star Game or not. Hit us up with your reaction, though. 331-979-1369. You want to drop your text, your voicemails, anything you got for us, 331-979-1369. We're on Twitter, at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful night. Enjoy Bulls and Rockets tonight. Be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. Thanks a lot.